Hello and welcome. In today's episode, we have a wonderful discussion lined up for you today where we will be discussing all kinds of conversations related to business and leadership and virtual teams. You know, I've got my co-host here, Srilly, with me today. Oh, yeah. Now, in today's episode, we're going to review a quick a key structure for the podcast itself. The initial idea will be self-fed. However, any exploratory key topics will be generated from ChatGPT. And we can, of course, go off topic on interesting conversation points that are not generated by ChatGPT. Today's first discussion point or key topic is on leadership in the digital age, how to build and lead a successful virtual team. Now, a lot of jobs are transitioning into working remote for all or even some of the time. One of the questions that came up is how businesses can create an environment that is conducive to working while also allowing the team to function properly. So a couple of points that, you know, I was reading about, especially on, there was a recent article from fortune.com where they were revealing that a lot of companies such as Starbucks and Disney, they're, they've begun to put their foot down. You know, the pandemic really um, drove home a lot of people, pun intended, where people transitioned from working nine to five in brick and mortar jobs to working at home odd hours or even their normally scheduled hours, but instead from their own bed or, you know, maybe getting, you know, comfortable chairs to work from a home office. And a lot of companies are backpedaling on that and saying, hey, guys, we need you home. We need you back in office. That way you can work cohesively with other people. But why are they asking people to return to the office? Is it because they are noticing a noticeable drop in productivity or because they want to bring their team back and have uh, things, quote unquote, the way they were. And they believe this is the best idea for how to make a company function. Well, there's a lot of positive impacts to having people working together and having a social work environment and connecting with your fellow coworkers on different topics. You know, personally, I find that going to the office and walking down the hallway to somebody and asking them a question is much more effective to me getting an answer than sending them a message through Slack or Teams or any any other program. You know, chat programs can only get so far. Even with the phones, you know, it's still very difficult. Sometimes people are on the phone. Sometimes you don't really want to talk to people on the phones. You just want to go down there in person, make a joke with it's them. It's easy to get a quick answer. You get a much quicker answer, that's for sure. That's out of the question you definitely get a much quicker answer than if you just, in most cases, if you just send somebody a Teams message or a Slack message. Um, but going in, in the office when you're being able to, you know, meet with people, you can, you know, connect with people, you can take a lunch break with somebody, you know, even if you don't necessarily take a lunch break, a lot of work environments, they have a coffee room or a, a, a cafeteria, they, they call it. They have talk. Yes, exactly. So... You take your 15-minute break, you go to the cafeteria or the lunchroom, and you can have conversations with people about anything, you know, whether it's work-related or even not work-related. You know, you can meet somebody in the coffee room and, you know, discuss where, where they were for vacation the last two weeks because you haven't seen them in the office. You know, a lot of, a lot of people, they tend to take vacation on work-from-home environments, 
but that people don't even realize they're gone because either they're just quickly replying to the email while on vacation. You know, I'm guilty of doing that sometimes. Even if I'm on vacation, I'll might, I might if there's a quick email that comes through, I'll send a quick message back. And nobody will even realize you're gone on vacation. But if you're physically in an Did office... Did that say something about how much work you are doing when you are working not, remotely? Because if people are not realizing that you are gone on vacation... and Well, obviously your direct bosses are going to realize your lack of work. But more along the lines of people from other departments who don't necessarily interact with you on a day-to-day basis, they might have no idea that you even... You know, a lot of times people don't even know they that oh who still works for the company. You know, once you get to a certain point, you know, let's say you have a company that has five, six hundred employees, most of those employees don't really know even close to all of the employees in the company. And they can't definitely tell you that somebody does or doesn't work there unless that person is a hot topic amongst a lot of different groups. That is true. I mean, any anthropologist worth their salt would tell you that when you are building up a society and you are reaching past the point of 150 people, when I say society, I mean even a micro society such as work, you at that point you need rank and labels and hierarchies in order to be able to uh, divide people up and you cannot just simply use uh, the, oh, oh, it's Dave down the hall. It has to be something a bit more concrete. It has to be the, you know, Dave, the sales leader or, you know, Dave, the uh, accounting manager in, yeah. in order to recognize who they are. Because there's now at this point, there's five Daves. You know, we have we have in my company, there's a lot of Victors. Um, Victor just, with a K? No, just just Victor in general. It just it just so happens that that, that was the hiring order for, you know, the last you know year or so. There's a, there's a group of Victor's and not related. They work in all different departments, but you can't just say, hey, I need to speak to Victor. You need to specify, oh, you need Victor in such and such department or Victor in accounting or Victor in the warehouse. And I, I think there's a lot of major companies that are, you know, really noticing this uh, this trend to having a, an effective work environment involves people being physically present. And if you're not physically present, even though some jobs are better done remote or can more effectively be done without distraction, the physical presence can establish creativity. A sense of camaraderie. Cause like you, exactly. But I wonder if that could be built up in other ways, such as just having certain social events, which are done remotely like video games night. So everyone just play is playing call of duty together. You know, so after work for an hour or two. I, I would say just from my past experience at a, at a work from home job, I would say that, or I guess we I should re- rephrase it and say we transitioned to a work from home job right. from in the office due to the pandemic. I noticed that the older generation usually had a large, um, a large struggle adjusting to the work from home environment. Now that's not necessarily true for everyone. And there are still a lot of younger people who have very similar struggles when they're not used to working on technology and they're not technologically savvy. It's not that they're, you know, it's not that they're illiterate or that they don't know, you know, they they couldn't figure it out. They just aren't used to this type of environment. Right. They're used to going to work. They're used to speaking with everybody in person. Um, When they go to a work from home environment, though, and even though during our you know daily team meetings we would still you know try to play games with people and generate a little bit of interaction it was a, a very large struggle to conducively create 
uh, an environment where people felt, you know, engaging and have the same social effect. Now, I would highlight that most people still didn't come back to the office when given the opportunity. So obviously the benefits to being able to sit in bed and do your work sometimes outweigh the, the in people's minds, the, the positives of going to the office. And a lot of what you're describing doesn't seem to be structural issues per se. It's more, uh, it more pertains to learning curves and things that need to be addressed in order that this structure could work. But at the same time, once these things are addressed, there is no reason why the productivity cannot be the same uh, as when you're in the office to some extent. A lot of people, though, don't like change. They don't like addressing those types of issues. You know, just imagine, like a, the Fortune.com article that I that I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, it was highlighting the CEO of Morgan Stanley, who I've seen in the news many times over the last couple of years. You actually the, see the news? Sometimes I read it, believe it or not. It's a it's a large uh, it's a large Shocker. surprise whenever I do read the news. But you know, sometimes these notifications pop up on my phone, and I'm like, okay, this is interesting enough to click on. So I've seen him in the news multiple times. You know, it's uh, he he's a very popular guy when it comes to being outspoken about um, work life balance, especially when, uh, due to the pandemic, and. He's been pushing since basically 2021, which, if you recall, was the end of pandemic number one and the beginning of pandemic number two. He's been pushing since that pandemic time number two. Omicron, Omicron, Delta, all of those other variants. Basically, not the initial the, one. Ba- okay, basically, when was a fake pandemic? Yes. Okay, and so he's been pushing since the first initial pandemic, which was 2020 through 2021. After that initial wave and everything was calming down and some groups of offices were still working on trying to get open, um, he's been pushing to get everybody back into office. You know, He announced that he wanted to start having employees come and work at least three to four days a week in the office. And I remember when he first rolled out last year in 2022, he made like a day. He said, everybody must come back to work by X, Y, and Z day. And he went there and like 25% of the people were there. That it's funny it. that when Elon Musk did exactly the same thing, he got so much flack for it, but no one heard about Morgan, Sa- Morgan Stanley effectively doing the same thing, but much earlier. Yeah, he was Morgan Stanley was really, uh, really doing it. And the CEO's name, James Gorman, is his name. You know, he's a he's a very big uh, big player when it comes to the phys- being physically present in office, and I, I can just imagine that that's how he works best. Obviously, is to you know connect with people in person, being able to greet them and see them on a day to day basis. You know, as the CEO, it gets I can um, totally see how it gets very frustrating when the employees you know just want to stay at home. They don't want to connect with each other. And I think it really just comes down to the mindset of uh, of what's going on. And Gorman actually put it best. He said that uh, he noted many people had adopted a mindset of job land where employees just showed up to work to do the job versus career land in which employees were learning and developing skills from these in-person interactions. So it's but- very difficult when you know he's trying to get these people to come back to work. Right, but... When you refer to career land over here, people do not need to use in-person interactions in order to develop their skills. A lot of skills are developed by now by taking online courses and the like, and a lot of training is now is configured to be done virtually. It's, a lot of the premises which he's making over here do not necessarily apply as much as you know one would think. I would say that that's more of the physical education that you're referring to. You know, whenever you're going to school, 
you're learning about a certain environment. I know you've been telling me you've you've been doing Azure uh, as your as your educational points a lot a lot during your you know work your non work hours etc. You've been you're putting a lot of time into learning Azure development and maintenance of Azure servers, and a lot of people can do that work remotely, off hours, in a classroom by themselves from online courses. There's thousands of online courses there that, that teach you that same information. However, what he's referring to, I think, when it comes to career land, is developing social interactions and otherwise known as soft skills between different people in the company. You can't develop those same soft skills whenever you meet somebody in the coffee room or whenever you meet somebody in the hallway and you have that short, even brief interaction that already triggers a memory in that person's brain to refer back to you at some point if they ever need your services. You know, even if they just barely know what you do, they barely know your name. If you're the only person in that field that they know of, they're going to turn to you first to have a question or discussion about something. And I think that that's really where uh, James Gorman is hitting on when it comes to you know career land. He's not talking about the educational points. You can do all of that on your own. You can change careers by just doing a Udemy course or on YouTube. You can find thousands of course hours. However, when it comes to networking and social environments, the only way to do that is physical. You can't do a networking uh, a communication platform online for the most part. You know, while people have LinkedIn and you know they might do a Zoom meeting every once in a while with a random group of people. It's very difficult to have the same level of interaction and memorability. That makes sense from from like an in person you know discussion. Now, a key, but again, a lot of the infrastructure is not being built so these people have that memorability. If you know, this is my idea where you know there is game games night where basically people get together and they play. Call of Duty together or something or the like, and then it's like, oh, you're right now on a team with uh, Jessica from sales and James from marketing, and you are all together trying to defeat, you know, the CEO and two of his cronies, and you know, and you're just randomly selected together. You're going to remember these people because you know you're, that's true. You're going to be you're trash talking each other while shooting zombies and the like. That's true. And you should be feel very comfortable when you're in that type of setting doing that, even with your coworkers. I think though, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, people who find themselves in an environment where <clears throat> that work and gameplay is encouraged, they're either not in the right company for themselves for different reasons, or the company is not, you know, a Fortune 500 company. Look at different work environments like Google and Facebook where they've got these physically large offices where people can come and they can, for all practical purposes, do everything, including showering and doing the laundry, other than sleeping. And in some places, they even have sleep pods, believe it or not, where you can go in and pay $5 for a nap. A lot of these organizations that are so large that they factor in all of your different areas of life, they're not doing it for you. They don't want you to have fun and build your career. They're doing it for them. The company's making money yeah, by the course. longer you're being there. But at the same time, but the point is a lot of what you're saying in terms of the camaraderie and you know getting to know other people through off-work interactions could be achieved by setting up other forms of... Um, 
interactions, which could be more virtual. The fact is, Gen Z is much more um, comfortable dealing with people online than they are in person, which is causing all sorts of societal ramifications. But at the same time, one of the ramifications is nobody wants to work in the office and rather than force people to be in a situation which they are uncomfortable with, we could adapt as is you know the ideal situation and then move on from there. Well, I think a lot of the challenges when it comes to leading a virtual team, like you're suggesting, you know, the communication and collaboration is really a, a, a structural important uh, piece in order to have all of the people on the same page. And in most cases, people are not set up. They don't have the experience and prior background to uh, keep the, the communication and collaboration points um, on, on track in order to have everybody on the same point with the projects. You have to have daily meetings of where everyone stands on their project. You have to have a, a spreadsheet where everyone's able to review all of these different projects. And a lot of websites do offer such, uh, su- such availability. You know, there's, I think there's one called Trello. I'm just naming a few off the top of my head, but you have Trello, uh, the, Microsoft has a few programs that so you can do. Uh, uh, Microsoft a few, SharePoint has and, a few dedicated. No yeah, things there's many different dedicated uh, points for team collaboration. Uh, Notion's great, where you can share different pages and boards with each other uh, in order to keep everyone on the same page uh, for project deadlines. However, unless you're meeting in person, you know you're going to find a few people who don't even read these uh, the boards that you give them. A lot of times companies have, without exaggeration, But then people dozens. are not doing their jobs. While that's the case, other people people have to prioritize what they're doing on their job. You know, People have dozens of different websites that they're given to do their work with. And some of them are not as important for other people as they are for some. You know, I find that it might be easier to work with, you know, a, a Google platform, Google Keeps for your notes, but other people like the Microsoft to-do list, just personal preference. But again, this is where leadership comes in, where you say that for everyone working cross-collaboratively, this is the one website which you are using. So that's really where companies are able to make that control decision. However, a lot of times when you give people access to a computer and the internet, they'll end up using something else even without the company's necessary necessary permission in order to utilize it. Yeah, that, that's fine. And again, that's just for them setting their own goals. I mean, for not, personally, I have to write stuff down physically. You know, I'm old-fashioned in that way. But at the same time, when it comes to each person, you know, they need to figure out what works for themselves. But then when it comes to the communication element, you just need to, uh, I guess, suck it up and then work along with what you are given. And I guess one of the big problems with this concept of online um, remote work is it's only a matter of time before companies realize, wait a second, I have someone in America who I'm paying $120,000 a year to do this job. Why don't I hire someone in India for half the cost and get them to do exactly the same thing? And that's one of the issues, I guess, with remote work, and that is that your job is much less um, secure. So that is a benefit, especially when it comes to securing your job in order to you know make sure your job is secure, having the clear connection and collaboration um, in order to see the goals you're trying to set. Um, and that's, of course, like you said, that's really where the leadership aspect is going to be more fine-tuned and uh, having goal settings and performance meetings and metrics that are all available to the team to keep track of. 
those are all going to be important um, key points when it comes to building a, su- a successful uh, team through you know leadership and you know interaction with your your team members. Now, I, I would highlight that in some environments, there is uh, there is going to be the factor of performance metrics that are not as uh, successful or usable uh, compared to others. You know, just a, 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 a plain example would be a sales team has easy ways of measuring their metrics and performance simply because they, either you're making sales or you're not making sales. If you're not making sales, you're not profitable for the company and the company should get rid of you. That's easy to understand. But jobs that are more along the lines of you know day-to-day activities like what i mean every, everything could cre- you could create metrics for anything just you know it, it's just a question of getting creative enough so that's really where i think a lot of leadership is, is lacking in you know being able to create metrics for a accounting team or for accounting an hr team, department it, 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 it's, it's the output so you know how, how many uh I, i'm not familiar enough with accounting but how many uh how many accounts did you reconcile or the like and with hr it's like how many time cards did you process in one day or you know the like there, there is there's always a way to create metrics it's just a question so you of- can have a little bit of metrics you know i agree however the uh, the overall metrics that are deciding whether you're keeping your job or not those are a lot more difficult to measure because they're more of a performance basis um, more than a uh, an accountability but that also leads into another of my i guess you call it pet rats where jobs should move away from you are working from nine to five and you know you have to create your own tasks etc in that time to these are the tasks that you need to do and perform them on a given day when you uh can and that's True. it and then if you happen to complete it in five hours then so be it because you've been hyperproductive, and if you complete it, complete it to the right level of quality, then again, so be it. But why are we creating an environment where it's nine to five, and that, and the, you you have to work in those given hours? It doesn't make sense anymore, given the world we live in, where a remote work is always existing in some form, uh, and b you no longer have to you no longer have to have an office run on those specific hours in. A factory line, which is where a lot of these uh, work cultures uh, kind of in initially existed, because uh, of the third industrial, it was either the second or third industrial revolution. I'm not exactly sure. Um, it made sense to have everyone work together because at the same time you need one person to process one part, then another person to do, do the next mm-hmm. part, etc. But in today's world, things are different. Yes, you need to rely on other people, and yes, you need to get things done in a timely fashion. But at the same time. Do you really need people to be working from nine to five and everyone is produ- getting productive then? Some people are more productive in the evening, some very early Correct. mornings. Some people need a nap in the middle of the day to be able to be fully functional. Everyone's different and we should not be putting You're people right. into one hole. You're right. Making sure that the metrics are not what decide your job is also something to you know, as a leader, you really need to make sure you're focusing on the use of facilitating the proper com- amount of communication and collaboration can also impact, I would say, the remote work as well. You know, if you have, let's say, a video conference app as well as instant messaging, chat messaging, 
and project management tools. Oh, and making sure that you implement all of those pieces is something that allows all of those team workers to communicate and productively um, output the results you're looking for, especially when it comes to not trying to move away from having performance metrics and goal settings like we just discussed, that the communication aspect and the collaboration amongst the team workers even if it's in the middle of the night, that can also lead to a huge uh, increase in your in your output and productivity. Now, we have some strategies uh, that we want to discuss as well for building you know trust and fostering a sense of community with the virtual team members. You know, when it comes to the collaboration, like we discussed earlier with my previous job, you know, there were a lot of difficulties when. Older folk were trying to you know, reach out and get started with the work. And when they were switching over from an in-office to a remote position, you know, they really needed a lot of connection. And I guess they would, they would call it more like team, teamwork in order to get those people off the ground and up and running. And I think that's really where a lot of companies are a little lackluster is the availability for assistance when you're working remotely. Having the ability to reach out to an expert in the topic that you're, um, that, that you're working on, even if you're doing your scheduled job, having your manager available for a quick meeting every, every couple of hours, or let's say you are an older folk who are trying to um, get started with technology for a remote job, or even a lot of younger folk. I don't want to keep those people out of the conversation either. There's a lot of younger people, even Gen Zers, who are not as technologically advanced as you'd think. They can use an iPhone, and that's about it. You know, They don't know how to find the right things on the website. They're not using creative thinking to find answers to a lot of questions very easily. So having some assistance when it comes to navigating the environment, that can be very beneficial. And that might, I would say... That might be a factor that like an I, a, a heavily built IT team could could be of assistance for. They don't but again, miss- in, in even in that situation, what you that itself should not be an impediment to re- remote working. That these issues are exactly the same in the office in general because people in, and then they are sitting in front of computers all day. It's not like people are using pen and paper. We are past that stage. We have already transitioned into the computer based environment. So if the fact that they are not thriving in such an environment is more of an excuse rather than an actual impediment to remote work. I would venture to say that that might, uh, I would disagree with you on that. And my reason being is when you're in an office, let's say you have 35 people. I know your office there is very small. So let's say you have like a 35 person office and you have a new hire who's not very technologically advanced, but is very smart, very bright, is able to um, quickly grasp the topics that you're giving. If they have a question, their first instinct is to turn to their neighbor, turn around their chair in a circle, and ask them what the answer is to that question. I guess there is a disagreement. For a lot of Gen Z, if you have a first question, your first instinct is to turn to Google. And if mm-hmm. and if that does not work, then turn to your neighbor. So Either way, though, the result is still the same. You're having that collaboration with your team members who are right around you, 
who are doing the same work you're doing on a day-to-day basis. And they're able to easily answer your questions because they're also facing those same difficulties. And most likely one of those three people that you're facing are able to give you uh, an answer that will suffice. And that also can enable you to teach the next person who might replace somebody. And the next person who asks the question, you might be the one to give the answer. But again, this is just about modifying the onboarding and offboarding procedure. This is not about No, actually- no, no, no. That's, that's where we're having the disagreement, I think, is it's not the onboarding and offboarding procedures that I'm talking about here. It's the day-to-day activities. You know, let's say six months down the line, you you know, you just start a brand new job. You're working there for six months and you have a question about you know, the piece of software that you're utilizing. It's not an onboarding question. It's what's this weird quirk when I click this way and the window moves to that side? How, what does this even do? How? What's the benefit to me? Google's going to have a very difficult time answering that question usually. That's and valid. the only way to get that answer is to speak to somebody who's also doing this on a day-to-day basis, using that program every day. So by turning around to your neighbor and asking that question, that's really a, a collaboration point that a lot of remote work is going to be missing. But what the, we could do is we could create alternate pieces of software where you could just press a button and then you're immediately live and then talking, another person... Exactly. So that, that, then, that's it, what I was referring to a second ago with the remote work, trying to build out um, a, teams of assistants that are able to help people But that just pertains to building infrastructure. That's not inherently a problem with the fact that you are not in an office in the first place. However, it's a different infrastructure that wasn't needed before. It's you know I guess you could say that that might create new jobs in the future. However, right. this is infrastructure that wasn't needed until very recently. You'd but that's the case with all things. The fact that Ethernet, uh, the fact that fiber optic cables and the like are down in the ground, and I believe they're now being replaced with something more advanced, but that's relevant, uh, was not needed until, like, say, 10 years ago. And the fact that they are, you know, the fact that something is being developed because it was not needed until now is sure. not an excuse to not evolve past this point. But when we are on the subject of leadership, let's transition to what makes a leader great. Now, we have discussed the idea of virtual leadership, but and then in the end of the day, there are certain leadership attributes which could be used in any leadership situation. So let's go through a few of them, and uh, then we're going to be talking in more detail about them. So the idea of vision, integrity, emotional intelligence, uh, communication skills, adaptability, confidence, um, strategic thinking, decisiveness, empowerment, and being results-driven, to name a few. So let's circle back to the first idea of what makes a leader great. So vision. Vision is the ability to see the big picture and create a compelling vision for the future. Now, uh, Ronald Reagan, for example, you who was um, the president of the United States, had a clear vision for what he wanted when he was in power, which was a smaller government and a stronger national defense. And he was able to inspire others to work towards that vision. Now, uh, relating to vision itself, I would even venture to say that vision goes a step further. It allows people to see the greater picture and not just inspire people to work towards that greater picture, but also to understand that there is such a thing as a greater picture. You look at a lot of jobs, and especially the lower you go down on the chain, the less those people understand or even notice that there's a greater picture involved. Let's just take, for example, a warehouse. The warehouse workers, their greatest picture, their greatest vision that they have is to make sure that all of their warehouse items are exiting on time as the orders come in. That's the largest picture that they even know exists. 
They don't understand mm. that the company's doing a billion dollars in sales and the sales team is doing a lot of the heavy lifting and the CEO is constantly going back and forth between, you know, 15 different offices. All they know is that the large, they're supporting the company. The largest, the, the largest amount of orders that they've ever gotten just came in today and we've got to work in order to clear this out. That's as far as their vision goes. However, when you have a leader, the leader's ability to instill the large picture of the company, where the company wants to be in six years, but then also breaking it down for each person and saying, hey, in order for the company to reach $2 billion in sales next year, warehouse, you're going to have to step up your game in, in terms of how many output uh, orders you get you you are able to do instead of doing 15 orders per hour we're have to we're going to have to double the amount of orders that each warehouse is able to output in order to reach 2 billion dollars in sales so you're saying that vision is intrinsically tied to the way that the results are um come combat so vision is about achieving a certain uh, form of results exactly and then it's about empowering the people who are responsible for that in order to help them to achieve their goals so that could be knowing Correct. when to cut back and when to allow people more uh, utility to do whatever they mm -hmm. need to do and sometimes you need to uh, have more work put in order Correct. to get them to do to what they are doing but all of this is irrelevant if the, if the leader does not have integrity because when you are asking someone to do something if you are asking your workers to work hard but you are sitting there uh, on your phone in your office and you are not achieving and or doing anything people will notice because you cannot expect workers to work for you harder than you are working yourself because in the end of the day the workers who are coming in nine to five do not really have care that much about the company as long as they are getting paid as long as they're doing the bare minimum mm -hmm. for the most part i mean you do get exceptions and you need to inspire them to work hard and part of what is involved is working hard again but yourself so an example of this would be um margaret thatcher she was the first uh, female prime minister in the uk she was known for her integrity and unseen leadership and this helped her gain trust of her followers and she was such a workaholic that she would give herself electric shocks in the night in order to be able to stay up for longer hours and be able to work I don't know hours. if that's going to instill working harder for me or if that's just going to turn <laughs> me off from working. I understand where she's coming from, how staying up longer can, you know, produce a greater output. However, the lack of sleep, I think, is really going to get to me after she, a short amount of time. She was called the Iron Lady for a reason and not because of her suit of armor. I mean, every teach their own. Whatever helps her gain trust and uh, during her... Her time in office, I guess. I mean, she did not do that to gain trust. She did that to work. I and mean, she was one of the most workaholic workaholic people that could exist. And I'd uh, say that personally, it's on my cup of tea, but, you know, that's, each that's true. I'd say that the more uh, of a workaholic you are, the generally people will consider you more intelligent because you're able to understand the and manage your, you know, emotions over that, that length of time. However, when it comes to working for extreme periods of time, I can see that that might you know degrade your you know intelligence and lack of understanding of you know empathetic points. Well, there is also a clear correlation between the amount sleep deprivation and the loss of cognition. Like what? Uh, 
Well, for example, they have shown that if you are awake for, I believe it is 18 hours straight, you have the equivalent of half a unit of alcohol inside your blood. Uh, and as the as you are awake for longer hours, the amount of um, the the equivalent amount of alcohol goes up. Not in terms of the actual blood alcohol concentration levels, but at the same time, the loss of cognition and impaired decision making that would act naturally result from drinking alcohol. So you're saying that instead of having a beer every night, I should just stay up longer and I'll achieve the same effect. Uh, in terms of your decision making, yes. Okay, good to know. So that obviously means that if you want to have worse decision making, you should stay up longer. But if you want to have, you know, better decision making, you could, you know, stay up for a shorter amount of time between your naps. Maybe that's how having a nap schedule could be beneficial. If you want to go back to the the companies that offer different services and amenities, maybe that's a benefit to having a nap pod in your in your work office. Is so that way you can have a nap, but then reduce the amount of time that you've been actively awake. Maybe perhaps that that might reduce the uh, you know cognitive uh, intelligence that you have, or, or increase the intelligence available to you. I should say, rather than reducing it due to your awake time. Right, um, and for example, there have been many studies which have been conducted on the relationship between sleep deprivation and cognition. A study published in the journal Sleep found that chronic sleep deprivation is associated with a cognitive decline in older adults, including declines in, in memory and verbal fluency. Uh, another study uh, has found that in the another study in the journal Neuropsychology Development and Cognition, Section B, Aging, Neuropsychology and Cognition, in 2019 also reported that sleep deprivation leads to a deficit in tension, working memory, and cognitive flexibility. Uh, there are multiple studies which effectively show that sleep deprivation is not a good idea and that kind of ties into the idea of working from home earlier where if you're able to work from home and especially if you're able to be flexible your sleep naturally would be better because you're not going to have to commute you do not have to uh, worry about getting out of bed and being presentable for the office you could be okay I'm not going to discuss that with one co-worker said to me about the fact that he uh works in his boxes uh well, <laughs> well there are a lot of people that work in there and uh, you know they're not fully dressed necessarily while working and i wouldn't say that that's unique to any specific co-workers in general yeah i think that's just across the board the people given are given the opportunity to not show up on camera um then they're not going to be very well presentable you know, I saw a hilarious, you know, article. I don't remember where it was. Maybe YouTube or so. You're Google saying that News. people do not get dressed in the morning? Unfortunately, that's correct. Uh, there was an article on Google News. This this lady, she got so upset when the, she was uh, released from her job three hours after starting her uh, her training. And the reason being is that the requirements for the training is that she needs to be on camera for the entire time. She turned off her camera for ten minutes to make lunch. And that while the training was occurring and that right there violated the training rules and that caused her to be dismissed from her job three hours after starting. And, you know, in some ways, I totally agree with that perspective. You know, if you're supposed to be doing training, you have to ask for permission in order to leave. You have to request the uh, the person doing the training to pause in order to not make it wasteless. 
Nope. I mean, was it one-on-one training or was it a um, group I don't training? know. They didn't go because into that it, in detail. If, but if even it's, if it's a group, you'd still want to, you know, at least have that communication between the person providing the training and yourself that, hey, I'm stepping away for a minute to uh, to, to complete something. Is that okay? If, if it's one-on-one, I kind of uh, do agree with you. But if it's in the group, I do understand their perspective a bit, a bit more because you do not want to completely impair and, you know, disrupt the flow of the trainer. But at the same time, if you need to step away for a few minutes, that should be allowed. I mean, if someone needs to see the bathroom and you know, they end up spending 10 minutes there, what, are they going to be fired for that? You, there, there, is, there is a certain balance over here. Then they, you're, you're showing up to work. You're not sure. You know, there are certain human rights which are involved. Definitely. You know, I don't, uh, I don't know all of the details related to this specific article. However, you know, you're right. When it comes to making sure that you're taking care of yourself, that's obviously priority. However, I'll mention that this lady did mention in her article that she went to uh, go make some food on the stove. So that I, I feel that that right there was not right. She should not have been doing that, especially when she had a set amount of time that she's supposed to be training. It was already set in stone that she needs to be on camera um, do, actively doing the training. There's no reason she should have stepped away during active training to go make food. You know, that there was already most likely set aside time or she should have waited till the training's over in order to complete that. I mean, I kind of agree, but at the same time, there are so many variables here that it's very hard to actually make a blanket statement Correct. because in certain situations, this could be very okay. In certain situations, this could be very not okay. And again, let, uh, there is, there's too much going on here to right. really be... Well, let's move on to the last topic for the day where we have strategies for building and leading high-performance teams. When it comes to the high performance leadership, we've kind of been uh, discussing this the entire time here today. However, let's clearly define some, I guess, baseline points where of how you can structure and build a team, whether working remote or not. A lot of these highlights can be implemented, even if you're working physically in an office. A lot of them can also be implemented and can be beneficial and potentially can even fix some of the discussion points that we've reviewed um, when it comes to remote work. So one example is uh, that you need to clearly define uh, roles and responsibilities. So everyone should know what they're doing, how long they should be doing it for, and what is the expected output for them. Even if they are not working in something which is clearly metric driven, they should have some sort of metric which they should be aiming for. And that would increase their productivity because they would know this is what I should be aiming for. And this is my productivity for this week compared to last week. So, I mean, you could do, do you could use, for example, like sales correct units produced per hour, your sales per employee, tickets answered, and the like quality. You could measure the customer satisfaction afterwards, or you could, you know, crunch all those numbers together and then create some sort of quality uh, and product, productivity uh, metric or the amount of. Uh, sales done there are many ways you could clearly define the uh, output and then define the roles and responsibilities of the person uh, the one problem with uh, more open structures to some extent is that there is less more ambiguity as to what should you be doing in your downtime what are your roles and what are your responsibilities and then you also come into google's idea which is having a famous 20 percent time policy where 20% of your work time could be done doing whatever project you want outside of your normal job responsibilities in order to increase innovation. And there are some features in Google which are right now being used, uh, which were as a result of this Google's 20% time off policy. Well, I agree with that philosophy where making sure that each team member is 
well aware of their own goals. Um, they want to make sure that there's a, a correct implementation of, you know, the review process of those weekly goals. You know, for example, you know, some companies have a, a sheet that allows the employee to fill out, you know, what they've accomplished for that week, what goals they want to accomplish for next week. That way they can have a clear path of, did I meet those goals or does something need to be tweaking? If you see that you've had the same goal for four weeks in a row and you haven't gotten anywhere, maybe that's a sign that to both you as well as your superiors to revisit some of the goals that you've already been set for or set for yourself. Yeah, that's another key where goals have to be small and manageable. You want to be able to achieve your goals. You don't want to have goals which are so big that either would take five weeks to achieve it or you are simply, it, it's more of a wish list rather than a goal. And that ties into the next point where you need to communicate effectively. There's no point in telling people, uh, oh, you're doing great. You need to give specific examples of what are you doing well in? What are specific points where you need to improve in? So, uh, and also when it comes to bigger companies, you need to have uh, a way to communicate across the hierarchy. So Zappos, for example, has the C in the CEO holds a weekly open door office hours for any employee to come in and ask questions or share feedback. And then a Dutch anthropologist once was analyzing startup culture across countries and was trying to figure out why the Israeli uh, startup nation was so effective. And what he found was because there is a latent chutzpah in Israeli society where people would be very willing to talk back to uh, power and to just tell people what they think of people, even if they it is not their place, they are much more likely to tell, to basically call BS on someone and say, you know, this idea which you have, even though you are my superior and you are the founder and the CEO, etc., is not going to work and you sure. should be working and looking to do something differently. I've seen that in many places where whenever the CEO holds some type of open door uh, availability to his to his employees, or even if it's not necessarily held per se, but more so it's available to the employee to come and speak with the CEO. Whenever that superior leader is accessible, a lot of times there's real world feedback that comes through. I can definitely see this feedback in a, an environment where the the CEO doesn't have direct interaction with the system that's being used, whether it's a CRM system or a website that's being utilized for customers and clients. The employees who utilize these systems on a day-to-day -day basis while they might still be their job to actually go ahead and fix the problems, a lot of times they can bring up to the CEO any issues that they're having, and he's able to at least provide direction on how they can get those resolved, providing the right communication path for that employee to get those resolutions, I think is a very structurally important aspect in order to have a, a good you know company and a good leadership perspective the same i think could be trickled down even a, a step below the ceo like your direct manager or the manager of the department should have a very similar i think uh, open door policy that makes sense especially the lower you get the more open door they should be for you you know your direct yeah. manager should be the first almost immediately accessible person to his direct employees 
Whereas the CEO, you might have to schedule a time in order to meet him, but that availability should still be there. And the open door policy, again, leads to more innovation because you're more likely to come to the door and say, listen, I want to try something different and then see how that goes. But more than that, it allows you to maybe, and this is something which should also be tied in, is to provide opportunities for training and development because the more that you are able to develop your role and to develop yourself as a person, the more likely you are to actually want to stay in the company and to do further develop your skills. There is sometimes a latent fear that when you are working in a role and you are developing your skills, there you are going to then jump ship and go to a different com- company. But I would argue on the contrary, if you are allowed to facilitate and to develop personally, you're more likely to want to stay in the company. Correct. And being able to recognize and reward a lot of those good decisions that are being made or even empowering the employees to provide those decisions or even provide the input uh, and feedback towards new innovation that's going on in the company can really give the employee the benefits and the, I, I guess, the desire to continue staying. There's been a huge push recently that people should be jumping from company to company every couple of years. And it's really because the company that they're working for doesn't provide enough, not only recognition, but also a monetization for the employee's work and time. So being able to record, uh, reward and recognize that the employee is doing good and therefore they need to be rewarded and not only, you know, a, a giant plaque, but also mon- monetarily, that can be a, a big encouragement to the employee to continue providing not only the innovation, but also to stay with that company for longer. And I think we, we've seen as well that some companies like the Ritz-Carlton, they reward the employees with they call a golden bell to ring whenever they observe a colleague doing something that's extraordinary so making sure that the reward and uh, you know positive feedback is given another side what do they do when the colleague is a bell end that's i i don't know about that you know they might you know instead of ringing the golden bell they're going to ring the you know silver bell maybe that's what will happen right oh well the last bell (laughs) They're going to ring the, one at the, the, end. the last <laughs> bell. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. They're, they're going to ring the bell for termination if they're not doing well. The P42 bell. Oh, man. Very good. Well, on that note, you know, it's important to you know keep in mind, these are just a few examples that we've reviewed of you know, leadership, encouragement, and the sense of connectivity amongst the coworkers. And there are lots of different flexible ways to adapt some of the strategies to encourage your team to be more involved. And uh, hopefully we'll talk uh, and discuss some of those other uh, other points in a future episode. And if you have any questions or feedback, feel free. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us in the comments section or by leaving a review on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to subscribe. Stay up to date on all of our future episodes. And thank you for listening to The Brute Awakenings. Thank you for listening. Once again, what a pleasure. And have a great day.